Great music. What a, what a wonderful song to, to finish on and that verse where it talks about not boasting in anything but Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And that's, that's really been the theme of what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks with Paul. And, and we've been looking at a, a portion of chapter 10 and, and now chapter 11 where, where Paul's going through a couple of different perspectives and he, he talked at first about being bold at the, the end, uh, the last part of chapter 10 and, and then foolish almost last time in some sarcasm and in foolishness in the first part of chapter 11, the first verse, first six verses and, and now he's going to talk about humility. And, and as we look at this, Paul is, is really trying to, to get his point across to the Corinthians. And he, he has a real heart for these Corinthians. He, he loved these Corinthians. He, it has been a huge part of his ministry. And he's really struggling because they're, they're not responding rightly. They are getting caught up with false apostles and, and all sorts of other things. And, and so Paul... Just, he's just trying to bring home some points. He's trying to help them understand some challenges in, in his concern with false apostles and false teaching. And we see that today. Right? The false teaching didn't just happen in the church of Corinth. It wasn't just in, in, in the other churches that Paul was engaged in. It happens today. You can, you can turn on the television. Uh, you can look at the street corners. There's all sorts of places and ways where we have false teachings going on, where people are leading people astray, where they're giving them wrong information. And, and the challenge is, is that, you know, it's one thing to give people wrong information, perhaps on what kind of pair of shoes to buy or pants or car or, or house or even some things that get large like that. But it's a different thing when you're talking about somebody's salvation, when you're talking about eternity with them and, and Paul really was working hard to help these guys understand that you just gotta pay attention. You have to listen. You have to be discerning. You have to actually evaluate what you're getting from people and see whether it's true, whether it's honest, whether it's really the gospel of Jesus Christ or if it's the gospel of someone else, an individual. Or, or a cult. And, and so this is what he's working on. And in the last part of chapter 11, in verse uh, 5 and 6, Paul finishes that portion. He says, For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostle, but even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way we have made this evident to you in all things. And to set the tone for today, because this was something that was very important, People that could speak really well, that were great orators, were well-respected in Corinth, in the Greek culture especially. And they wanted people that could wow you, right? The whole idea is that we can dazzle you with our ability to speak and, and that we would entertain and, and we could do that. So the Greeks would be looking for someone that was that way. And Paul uh, apparently was not a great orator. He didn't have a bunch of oratory skills. He didn't walk into a room and the minute he started speaking just commanded the intention of everyone. I mean, we've all seen that kind of speaker, right? The speaker that comes in and they start speaking and the room is just silent. The, the, the speaker connects with the room, with the audience, and, and, and really just has the ability to draw 
the audience into whatever they're saying. And then the audience will pay them huge sums of money to have whatever it is they're selling to them in many cases. And Paul's trying to share with them, that's not the point. It's great. It's not bad to be able to speak well. But that's not the point. The point is rather to have the appropriate knowledge and the basis from which to speak. And the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ as opposed to the the mistruth of the gospel of the false apostles. So Paul starts in verse 7 and he says to them, or, or did I commit, right, this, did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? So he's trying to figure out what is it with you Corinthians and why are you following these false apostles? What is the story? Okay, maybe I'm not a great speaker, but I have substance from what I speak. I understand that with which I share with you. So it can't be that. Was it because I didn't charge you? You see, it's an interesting concept, but in the Greek culture at the time, a speaker was held in esteem by that which they could charge for speaking. So if you commanded a huge fee for coming and speaking and opening your oratorical skills, you were well respected. If you did it for free, you were really a loser. You really had nothing to share with these people of great learnedness and wisdom that the the Greeks in Corinth, with people in Corinth, considered that they had. So it's in verse 3, we we see a little bit of that. And after these things, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Achilla and a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, he came to them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. So Paul went to work. During the day, he would be out there working on tents, building things. And then he would be speaking to the Corinthians. Well, this was an embarrassment. This was a huge embarrassment. This is this man that's very high, that's supposed to be a leader. And he's stitching tents for crying out loud. What a horrible thing. And then he has the audacity to come before them and teach them. There's got to be some problems with that for sure. So his speech probably wasn't as big of an issue as it was the fact that he was a manual laborer. Right? What a horrible, horrible concept to have a blue-collar apostle. And, and, And so these guys really struggled with that. It was interesting that Paul, as he talked to them, and if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it wasn't that Paul didn't have needs. It really wasn't. If we look at verses 16 through 18, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. He's talking about if they were to support him here. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will... I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So he had right. He talked about that. um, And we talked about when we went through 1 Corinthians. He had right to extract, to expect payment. Right? The, The minister of the word was actually in the Old Testament found to be worthy of twice, double the payment that you would normally consider giving because of the importance of their job. But Paul said, no, I don't want that from you, Corinthians, because I want to be able to come to you and give you this gospel free of charge. He knew that if he came and and jumped in and did this 
under the same expectations that the Corinthians had of everybody else in their culture, he would have no grounds with which to speak to them. If he came and extracted huge amounts of money that he was due or expected them to wait on him hand and foot, he wouldn't be able to hold them as accountable to things. So there was a challenge with that. So he goes on to explain, though, that it wasn't just his hands that made the money, but he actually got money from other places. And we move in verses 8 in this, and he talks about, he tells them, Now, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to serve you. That's a pretty strong word, this whole robbed concept. It it actually uh, bespeaks of pillaging, where the idea being is that you go into an area, you take things from them, and then you use it in a place that won't benefit the first group. So he took money from other people, and then he used it in a way that wouldn't benefit them. Now, that's from a, a small microcosm, because if you look at things in the, in the Word, when we talk about missions, this is a great example. So we will support a group, for instance, uh, the church in Satine, uh, or the church in North Carolina, or the church in Greeley. We, we have missionaries spread throughout areas, and we support them. Now, the, we don't get direct benefit from what happens in Greeley, or Satine, or North Carolina, here, we don't see it coming in into this building necessarily, but we know there's the benefit because we're building the kingdom of God. Well, the same people were doing that, and they were supporting the Corinthians. And he, t- he goes on to tell them in verse 9, And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone, for when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you, and I will continue to do so. This is an important step because Paul's talking to them here and he's saying, I've done this, but just because I've now told you I've been doing this, don't expect I'm going to ask you to support me. In fact, is I'm not going to let you support me still. He didn't want the Corinthians to think they could buy him off, if you will, and stop him from holding them to, to task. He was going to continue to do his job and his responsibilities in the Lord based upon where he was going and from the support from the Macedonians. So if we again look in Acts 18, we can see where these guys were coming from, 1 through 5, and, and can they, they had the same trade, and he was, he was teaching in verse 4, he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. You see, Paul had been supporting himself until such time that the Macedonian church supplied him all of his needs and his wants. He had everything he needed from then. He no longer needed to bank tents. And he was able to move on and do things. But again, not asking anything from the church at Corinth. In Philippians 4.15, we see again that mention. And so Paul went on to get support from other people because this was an important concept in the church at Corinth because they would have had pride in supporting him. And they may not have listened, so Paul understood that, and he moved very carefully to try to help them to make sure that they were not caught up in giving to him, but rather receiving. And he continues on. I'm I'm not a burden to you. And, And in verse 10, And as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. And I love that perspective. And remember, we talked about Paul boasting. And, and he was boasting in the gospel of Christ, not in of himself. 
just as we sang in that last song, may it be our prayer for ourselves and each other that we may never boast in ourselves, that I would never come up before you and boast in my eloquence or my ability to study the word, but rather I would boast in my dependence, my absolute and utter dependence upon my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because without him I could do nothing. Uh, I couldn't offer anything. But with him, I have the opportunity to share your word, not because I have any knowledge on my own, but because the Spirit uh, so kindly speaks through me. And that is a, a huge blessing to say that. But Paul's talking about the fact that he is not going to stop in his boasting in this region. So Achaia was, was, certainly, was a region of which Corinth was the capital city. So Corinth was a capital city. This was a region. There were obviously problems with false apostles in other parts of this region. And Paul was going to ferret them out. And he was going to get rid of them. Uh, a neat concept, we talk about ferreting things out. You probably don't know the concept behind that. Steve might know the concept behind that. Ferrets were designed actually to go after in areas and kill rats in places where they had rat infestations. So that was the very beginning of having ferrets. So when you talk about ferreting something out, it was putting something in and going after the vermin that you wanted to get rid of. And Paul was going to do that throughout this region. And he, was, he just wasn't going to give up. And why? Why was, he, why was he willing to keep going and why wouldn't he accept anything from them? So here's a, here's a point. He's telling them, I'm going to keep doing this the way I've been doing it, which is to not allow you to support me. But why? Why would he be so defiant against the Corinthians? Why would he stand up for them and say, basically, even if you want to support me, I won't take you money. I'm not going to accept it. Well, the concept here, he goes on to answer for them. Why would I do that? Because I don't love you? No. No, you know I love you. And so does God. God knows I love you. It's because of you that I'm not going to do this. It would be easier for Paul. Can you imagine how much simpler it would be for Paul to be able to have his needs provided right there in Corinth without any need to wait and see? You know, we, we lose complete sight of things. When we need something... Uh, somebody to send money or whatever, we can, they can wire it, can be there within hours. Right? Uh, we can FedEx something or UPS something if we need something, and we can get it overnight by 10 a.m. Right? We can send it from the other side of the United States and have it here by 10 in the morning. We don't even consider the fact that when, when, when Timothy and Silas came from Macedonia to bring the money and the resources to Paul, there was no guarantee they'd make it. It may take them months. It, it, they could lose their lives. They could be robbed and lose everything. Uh, now, we want to send something to somebody, we just put a little insurance on it if it's valuable. And if it's gone, it doesn't matter, they replace it. Uh, we don't even consider what this looked like. It would have been so much simpler for Paul to be able to just get his support right there in Corinth. Go down the street and get it as opposed to having it come from miles and miles away. But he knew that that wouldn't be good for the Corinthian because they needed to know that they were getting his support for nothing. They could hold nothing over him. It's an important thing we're going to talk about as we move on. But it, gave, it did not give them the opportunity to hold something over Paul and, and force him to do something. In verse 12, he continues, But what I am doing, I will continue to do, so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. 
that's pretty clear, so I won't go any further on that verse. Uh, so that was, that's one of those verses that the first time I read it, I thought, my head hurts now. But it's really quite simple. Paul's referring to the false apostles here. For those who desire an opportunity to be regarded. So the false apostles want to be regarded as Paul was regarded by the Corinthian church. Paul got there first, remember. He got there first. He shared the gospel. The church started to grow. These people came into it and and they, they, they were maturing. But then the false apostles came in and started to draw people away and to confuse people. But they wanted what Paul had, which was respect. They wanted that respect. So they slandered Paul in order to try to lift themselves up. Uh, understand, not understanding that when you undermine someone that's standing next to you, you undermine yourself as well. But they didn't get that. So they were wanting this kind of perspective. But he chose, Paul chose not to ask for money. You see, the false apostles actually were asking for money. In all likelihood, these guys were asking to be supported by these churches. They, they wanted their support because they needed that. And they didn't have somebody like Timothy and Silas in Macedonia, to bring them money because they were all focused in this group of people here. Not like they had a network of folks that were supporting them and taking care of them. They needed to have the money, and they intended to do that. So they sought that money for their services, and Paul intended to keep his ministry free so that they could not boast. As Paul was boasting in Jesus Christ for supplying all of his needs because these guys had to have money in order to supply their own. Who is actually quite simple. What he's telling them is, I'm not going to charge you. I'm going to continue doing this for free because I don't want the false apostles to have the ability to say they're doing the same thing I am. And you see, they don't have the network that I have. They can't do this for free. They have to have money. And, and that was just another example of God and the kingdom showing the benefit for Paul and the people that he worked with. As we finish this up in verses 13 through 15, Paul decides to finally call the false apostle by how he sees the false apostles. And he gets fairly strong here in telling them, and he tells the people in Corinth, for such men, these men that want to charge you for for giving you bad information, essentially, are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Now, these guys had no claim to their office. Right? They pretended to be apostles. They were deceivers. They had no divine appointment. They, they had their own appointment. And this gets a little bit interesting because you will see at times people who will now claim to be an apostle. There are people that, that are out there today. In fact, that, that are teaching today uh, a, a gospel with them as apostles. They have claimed this of themselves. Uh, there's nothing that I can come up with in the Bible that says that by just do these things, you know, you can be, after you're a pastor for eight years, you can apply to be an apostle. Uh, but, but I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. I don't see that, that there is this apostleship. For, for people now, this was something that, that God had done with the apostles. We have teachers, we have pastors, we have elders, but I don't see that. And, and these guys were claiming to this without having a divine appointment, if you will. And they essentially were enemies of Christ because they're disguising themselves as an apostle of Christ, but they were misleading people. So again, we, we run into problem with this and they're deceitful. 
In essence, it's the litany of bad terms for deceitful, uh, crafty, fraudulent, hypocritical. Who wants to be known as that? I mean, who really wants to stand up in front of a group of people and have somebody say, you're deceitful, you're crafty, you're fraudulent, you're hypocritical. And yet, these guys were doing all of that, and they tried to pin this on Paul. I mean, we see that in the first part of 2 Corinthians. They're trying to pin these tags on Paul, but very unsuccessfully in doing that. And then it goes on to talk about disguises. You see, if I were to walk in here, obviously, as someone who was lying to you and deceiving you and cheating you, most of you would pick me up pretty quickly. If I came in here today and I started teaching a gospel that said, you know, this week while I was studying, I found out that we were wrong. All along, we've been talking to you about salvation by grace, and I found on some stuff that I happened to just uh, pick up, that indeed it isn't salvation by grace. The vast majority of you would call me on that, and you wouldn't allow me uh, that, that latitude in saying that. But on the other hand, if I were to come in kind of quietly, and instead of telling you that it doesn't have to be grace, it could be works, what if I very carefully and slowly started adding in words that started leading you to think maybe there were other ways? towards grace. I would disguise myself as someone who is here to be up front and, and forthright with you, but I would slowly bring in my own gospel. And that's what these guys were doing. They would disguise themselves. You see, you see something that obviously doesn't fit. It's not hard to pick it up. But when it looks almost perfect, it makes it much harder to do that. And we know Satan was good at this, right? Satan does this all the time. Satan deceived Adam and Eve. He tempted Christ. Right? He came in and tempted Christ with the same things that we get. I'll give you the kingdom. You can have it all. Christ was knew it, though. Christ could see him for what he was. So these guys are doing the same thing that their master would do. We'll always look like that with which we emulate. The people we follow, we will start to act like. Uh, I laughed, my, my brother married uh, a, a wonderful lady 25 years ago, and she had a young daughter at the time. And, and she had not had a father figure in her, probably she was three or four years old when they married, had never had a father figure in her life. And, and when, they got married, my brother had a little twin. I mean, she walked like him. She talked like him. She followed him everywhere. It was astounding. I mean, this, this girl for three or four years who had never even known who this man was, within weeks of, of the wedding, was his inseparable twin, a little mini him. Right? It was astounding to see that. And, and what a blessing that was. And you can see that over and over. We're going to do the same thing, right? We want to look like Jesus. When, when, when I open the Word, I want to be more like Jesus than I was yesterday. These deceivers wanted to be like Satan, so they became crafty. They became mischievous and devious and deceitful. We have to be cautious, you see, here, because... We're most easily tempted when that with which we see is close to what we desire. That makes sense? 
We're more easily tempted when what we see looks like what we desire. Now, for me, I'm, I, I, it'd be hard for me to be pulled away from someone with green spiky hair. Right? I, I'm not, that's just not, not where, I, where I come from. But if you get somebody who, who looks similar to what I want to look like, and they come into my life, it's going to be very easy for them to draw me into where they're going to be. So I have to be cautious and make sure that they are moving me in the right direction. I have to be make sure that I am discerning. So what does it look like as we finish things up here and we, we, we tidy up? We really need to ask ourselves some good questions. So we've, we've gone through this and we've, Paul's talked to us about his boldness. He's talked about us being foolish and, and fear for us and actually being led astray very quickly and easily, right? His concern for the Corinthians wasn't that they were led astray kicking and screaming. Man, these guys, all it took was a little, hey, why don't you come over here? Sure. Let's go. Right? They, they didn't, it wasn't even hard for the deceivers to deceive the Corinthians. So who do we most closely resemble? We know that these the false apostles most closely resembled Satan. Paul most closely resembled Christ. We get to wake up in the morning and decide on our walk today, who will we look like more? The prince of the world or Jesus Christ? Are we careful what we take in? When we turn on the television and the radio, when we read a book, when we listen to somebody, what are we taking in and are we cautious with what's, what, how that looks? And, and you, I'm not at all describing that you should not be in the world. We are in the world. Unless you didn't pay attention when you drove here this morning, we're not in heaven yet. It looks close when you look to the west, I have to agree. We're not there. So we're in the world, but we just shouldn't be of it. Be cautious with what we're doing with things. I think it's really important that we check credentials. You know, we don't, we don't have anything. I can't put a diploma up on the wall that tells you that, that I have the right to stand up here this morning and open God's Word. I, I don't have one of those. Um, but we ought to check those. When we're listening to somebody, when we pick up a book that somebody's espousing something, we, we ought to check their credentials. Where are they coming from? What does it look like? And are we willing to be like Paul was? Are we willing to humble ourselves? For him, being a tent maker in Corinth was extremely humbling. His station was one of which he could have demanded and commanded the most respect. But he, rather than that, chose something very low in order that he might allow God to work through him and that God's grace could abound through Paul. So are we willing to do that? Are we willing to humble ourselves rather than saying, no, 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 you don't understand who I am. Do you, do you know who you're talking to here? I have to be careful with that regularly at work because you, you reach a stage sometimes in your jobs where, where you move up the ladder and you have to be cautious in not demanding what you're doing. The other day, a horse had decided that it needed to do its business in the middle of the floor in our breezeway, and they often do. Horses are very inconsiderate. <laughs> so I went and grabbed a shovel, 
And, and one of the students said to me, oh, no, no, you shouldn't be doing that. And I said, why, don't you think I can? We have to be cautious. Are we humble enough to do that, to go pick up the horse manure? Because you know what? I'm no better than anybody else that works in that hospital. No one else should have to do something I wouldn't do. And we need to be careful with that. So to leave you with some thoughts, if we go to the next picture. Right? Sometimes it's not hard to figure out something that doesn't fit. Right? I think we can all pretty much look at the kangaroo and realize that he has created a disguise that has been totally ineffective. But what about the next one? So this wolf hasn't done quite as good a job either. Perhaps he's still fairly obvious that, that indeed he is not a sheep. But what about the last one? This guy's good. Right? This guy has got it down. Let's be careful and cautious as we go forward. Let's make sure that we are evaluating where we are and what we are listening to. And, and let's make sure that, that we are focused on the one true gospel. And most of all, might I encourage you to make sure that when you are sharing the gospel, you're not adding or subtracting from it yourself. That you are not doing something that might provide you with a better station in life if you only could just, I'll just tweak it a little bit. Just a little bit. It's pretty, no, it's perfect the way it is. We don't need to add or subtract. And let's make sure we share it because there are plenty of people out there that are trying to deceive people. And our job is to be the counterbalance in that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you chose us. Lord, I, I, I am so humbled in the fact that you have allowed me over the last three weeks to open your word. It is such an astounding thing to know that you desire people to hear your truth and that you are willing to let us as people share it. Lord, thank you for Paul and his example for us. Thank you for his desire and earnestness to cut the word straight. Thank you that, that he desired a relationship with the Corinthians because he knew that they needed you. But there's a lot of people out there that we have influence upon, that we live in the same neighborhood, or we are in the same family, or we work with, uh, or, or our kids play with their, their, their kids. So we each have a sphere that you have put around us for influence. And we need you to share with us and show us exactly what you want for us to do in that. But we need you desperately. We, we do not have what it takes to accomplish this on our own. We don't, we don't come with the abilities, Lord. And, and, and you, uh, you know, we just know that you desire to equip us. Lord, I've heard often that you don't call the equipped, you equip the called. Lord, would you call all of us to our sphere, to our Jerusalem and our Samaria and to the ends of the earth for some of us, Lord, that you have a desire for us to be somewhere else even. And would your gospel go forth, Lord, and would you save many? Would you save many today? Would you be with our, our brothers uh, just across the walkway here? 
And would you use them mightily as well, Lord? Would you speak through them? Would you save lives and change lives? Lord, we're totally dependent upon you, and we just go forward this day and this week desiring to shine you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.